As retailers entered the lockdown in March 2020, a small, diverse group of Canadian thought leaders gathered to virtually speculate, collaborate, and share their insights on the waves of disruption facing retailers. The Business of Retail podcast emerged as an unflinching strategic alternative to the conventional discourse, revealing challenges in the headlines and exploring new, unconventional paths for all facets of the retail industry. Now, here's the panel. Hello, everybody. This is the Business of Retail. I'm Gary Newbury. I am joined with George Minakakis, David Ian Gray, and Craig Patterson. And what we're going to be talking about today is staffing in retail. Uh, what's the issues? What can we do about it? And how fast can we do it? Now, we're going to fast track this conversation. We've already had a, a pre-conversation about this. George, do you want to kick us off? Of course, because I'm the one who's controversial over it. The model is broken. You need to rebuild it. If you want to hang on to people over the holidays and have, employ them, pay them, pay them for earning incentive. Give them, give them high incentives to be at the at the store. For the bigger the sale, the bigger the incentive. That's what you need to do at this point. If you're not doing that, I don't know how you're going to get draw people in. They want to make money. You want to make money. If, and, and George, if you can do that then maybe just maybe we can do that 365 days of the year as well. The problem is going to be who pays, how do you pay for it? But I think that the attitude you're bringing into the conversation right now, you're, you're starting with a point of view of people matter in store. And if we go way back to why is a store a better place for a shopper than a website, than Amazon, the, really, the only difference is the fact you got people there who presumably can help you. So if, if, if that model needs to work and it's a reality that people can't afford to live in our major cities anymore because of all the costs going up, which is why we're having trouble just even getting holiday staff, then we can't keep pushing this off and talking about minimum wage incrementally going up. We need to fundamentally reboot how we look at and value employees in retail. And with 80 per 30 or to 80% turnover, you know, it, it, you can't say people matter when you have 70% turnover. You yeah. can't say you got, you've got a customer experience initiative going on, on when you've got 40, 50% turnover. It's just n- none of that aligns anymore. And um, I, you know, I, I, I applaud companies that do this, but you know, but you've got brands out there like Lululemon, that do attract staffing. You know, so the question you have to ask is, what's different about that model? Well, what's different is that it has an appealing brand. It has an appeal in what they're selling. They have a purpose, right? And they're true to their word. They do, people do matter in that organization, right? So they're, they're taking care of their people. They recognize that you're not going to be able to sell enough product without staff. But I've walked into stores where an employee wants to, uh, it was a huge store, about 3,000 square feet, and the employee waved at me and said, no, come on over here, I'll help you. One employee for 3,000 square feet. It was awesome. You know, you're not going to be in business for very long. And the other thing that you didn't mention is they have very high gross margins. True. Because they've differentiated their product or their brand 
which leads to better margins, which allows them to attract. It's a self-fulfilling, virtuous, positive cycle. They can attract the right type of staff, get them fully engaged in, in, in the whole experience of uh, Lululemon and similar brands, and they win. So, Well, I, I, like, I like, as you guys know, I like to think in scenarios. So one scenario is uh, we do really nothing fundamentally to alter how we treat labor in, in retail. It's, it's, it's a input like other inputs. We got to keep the price of it way down uh, relentlessly. And uh, if there's a minimum wage discussion at play, we, we have to jump to fight that notion. Let's play out now a few years. The track that we're on before COVID was uh, an erosion of, we, we did an episode on where did, where's uh, service gone in retail, right? There's an erosion of pride in being in retail at the front line and really dedicating to that and being brand ambassadors. By and large, there's exceptions. So if we play out, we stay this course, we hope that right now is a post-COVID serb blip and it'll settle down again. Are we better off than in two years? And I think no. And I think it's a long, long march to really, which hurts everybody, including consumers, where the Amazon effect does win out. Like the differentiator between the Bay as I see it today and a really good website is nil. There's no people in there to help me. And uh, it just is 3D maybe more than anything else, but that that's about it. And maybe I even get more selection on the web. So if that's the case, why are we dragging this out? Like, why don't we just shake the world up and force this? If it means there's certain categories of retail whose cost structure today can't absorb even a minimum wage, of $15 through their people, then maybe that has to get blown up by its own accord, right? And there's a there's a natural there's a natural push in this because we've had broadly 18 months, 20 months of disruption. And most of that is being period, certainly for discretionary spent um, retailers, often in enclosed mouths, actually having no revenue or very minimal revenue. And the cost of that revenue typically delivered through e-commerce is incredibly expensive. So we've drained the cash out of those businesses. This is a perfect time for many businesses to really give this a good a good boot in, a real good rethink. This model is broken. George made that point. I agree with him. I've had a number of discussions via LinkedIn about the minimum wage. Why are we talking about that? That is a wage to protect the most vulnerable people in our society who can work. And and we're paying people the minimum wage. That's not even... I agree with you, Gary. That's deluding. Just to make the point, we're deluding ourselves. We're running an efficient and effective business model. If we're having to reduce ourselves to the cheapest product and the cheapest staff to try and deliver something. I want to hear from Craig. (laughs) He's silent. I I don't know what to think because, you know, and I mean, David, you brought up something interesting. Should there be a massive shakeup? Well, if there's a massive shakeup, is this a situation where we're saying that most physical stores that are not luxury stores should be closing? Because there is a fairly good percentage of retailers out there that I don't think could afford to operate while paying their employees a living wage. And a living wage is something which appears to be almost impossible at this point in parts of British Columbia and Ontario in terms of 
being able to quantify that something under six figures per year, because it is so expensive to live in these parts of the country here. I was talking to a friend of mine about real estate and I said, well, basically in Toronto, you need to make three or $400,000 a year to be reasonably successful. And that seems insane if you think about it. I mean, because that's not a normal, that's a, that's a 1% type of wage. Looking at the retail industry, I mean, I think that things are also broken. Well, beyond wages, I, I don't think actually money is the big thing here. I think the situation is retail employees don't feel valued. Um, their schedules in some cases are all over the place, just depends where you're working. But, you know, last minute scheduling in some places, people aren't going to feel valued around that. Um, the money, I mean, I, I would be curious to talk to, uh, you know, some recruiters, you know, if people are even willing to take minimum wage at this point. And what about things like, uh, you know, employees having to clean the stores before and after? I mean, typically an employee that's, you know, been hired by a retailer before COVID anyways, would not expect to be part of the cleaning crew. And I think that these new tasks that we're starting to see now, not to mention, uh, you know, people coming in and bitching about having to wear a face mask or, or vaccination status, depending what province or where you are and what the rules are and what's being enforced. But right now, being a person working on the front lines and dealing with the public, I think is incredibly challenging. And I think that uh, retailers are going to bear a lot of the brunt of this, as well as food service businesses and other businesses that are frontline that have employees that you have to satisfy while serving the public. And in some cases, the public can be quite obnoxious. And I think that this is really going to uh, be a challenge for retailers. And, and that's going to be hard to change because you can't change the public's behavior uh, for, well, for the most part, anyways, at least not one store, one individual. Well, you're not going to change. And to, your, and to your point, you're not going to change retail because you had a hard time getting the change to just to include e-commerce into their platforms. So how are you going to change? How are you going to change their, Behavior and look, all of this, all of what we're talking, everything we're talking about right now, with, with respect to staffing, is self-inflicted by on the part of retailers, because they turn service into a cost yes. rather than to a revenue driver. And when you yeah. do that, you're reversing the model, and you're making and you're cut and you're cutting hours because you're saying, well, all the IT initiatives we did, we've increased, we've improved these following uh, productivity gains we've had. We don't have to do this anymore. We're reducing hours. That's how it's always been justified. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm equally guilty of that. Well, George, they've said this for years. I'm not saying this anything new right now in the pandemic, but the notion that we'll talk about people as assets. Um, but at the end of the day, they're on the PL as a, an expense, right? Like they're, Fundamentally, that is the root of where we're headed with this discussion, predominantly in publicly traded companies and you know, sure. larger ones. I know there's some with mom and pops, you get the whole range, you get some pretty crappy bosses, and then you get some wonderful ones where you have amazing experiences and you get paid well. But we're talking, I think, in this conversation a little bit more at the chain level. And uh, Craig, you, you, you know, I we're talking about the cost side of things, the wage side, and then you were talking about treatment. But I think part of that feeling undervalued is when you see a fight going on in the industry against minimum wage, there's some signaling. We talk about virtual signaling. I don't know what the anti-virtue signaling would be, but that would be probably a good example. And I know why it's happening, but I wouldn't make it as public in the discourse as I'm seeing it right at the moment. Like it's, it's sort of tone deaf. And meanwhile, the other side is just, and I'll finish, like, I'll let it go. But Craig, you made a point that right now is not the time to introduce that minimum wage. I agree with that. Like 
I think there has to be a little breather to let the recovery start to happen for the the retailers, but we, we shouldn't be against it in principle. But a 4% increase in minimum wage is nothing. You're going from $14.35 to $15. Which bank are you breaking? Which one? None. I, I find it incredible that all the focus is on one thing. It's the money. Somehow these people who weren't valued yesterday are suddenly going to be feel valued by paying them an extra 65 cents an hour or whatever. There's so many other things that we should be talking about. The quality of leadership, the level of communications, the way that the, uh, I would say, the cultural dynamic works, the route to promotion, the way that we train people, uh, how we socialise them, how we onboard them, uh, the hours we give them. There's so many other things to talk about. The discussions I see on LinkedIn are all about should we be paying this extra money? And and then you get the like the how one say the political dimension of the living wage versus the minimum wage and those kind of discussions. But we're missing the point in, in that in those discussions. These are people. They and it's almost as if these people aren't allowed to be valued. These people are not worthwhile. We talk about this esoteric subject called money over here. And of course, if we give them a bit more, they just come to work more, more enthusiastic with more energy. That's a complete and utter fallacy. These are people and we, they deserve uh, the respect that, that they should be accorded for all the reasons that Craig mentioned, all the things that they have to deal with in the day. I think we should be talking about leadership. How do retailers change their leadership style to actually make uh, people want to queue up for a job in their uh, retail chain and want to stick around and develop their career in a retail chain with some degree of pride? So again, we come back to two things, right? We come back to the fact that you need to have staffing right now and you need to solve the problem more long-term and it is long-term. So Right now, you want to solve the problem. What I would be doing is telling, telling a team, I want you to go out there, look for the most qualified people. And I, want, I don't want a body in the store. I want someone who can sell and pay them for it. Pay them so they can sell the drive conversion to get you the highest average sale per customer that comes in and pay them for it. Give them a good, decent percentage. Because otherwise, your volume is going to falter. That's the biggest issue everyone faces. So start addressing the issue more aggressively. Don't be hopeful that people things are going to change and people are going to come in because that's not going to happen. We're too close to the end of the year for thing, and the pandemic is still here. There's a lot of issues being driven that you have no control over. What you can control is to set to set something in stone and saying I'm going to I'm going to pay more to get people who can sell. And I sat I sat next to Harry Rosen many years ago. And he raised his hand. Everybody was talking about leadership. And he raised his hand. He goes, you know what? I don't need any more leaders. He goes, what I really need is more people who can sell. And I, right now, that's what I agree with. Right now, you need more people who can sell. Pay them. Bring them in. If you know who they are, pay them. And you know what's odd? The issues later on. Well, you know what's odd about that pay uh, situation right now, George and Craig kind of alluded to it a bit. We're hearing in the same context of uh, a shortfall of people going into frontline retail, the surge of jobs into warehouses. And the idea that you can make more money in a warehouse than you could interacting with customers, in my mind, is nonsensical. But I, I know I live in this consulting dream world, but there's something broken there in the model, right? 
but I know that that's getting driven by other entities like Amazon and other, other businesses are driving that price up. But it means if we can afford it in our warehouses and we're building more warehouses, then somewhere in the decision-making at the CFO level, we're acknowledging we can pay more money. We just have a culture block around frontline staff hmm. in the industry. Like we just have this metal block and it doesn't mean that you're paying your minimum, but that's the that's the benchmark, right? I think the issue is if that's the benchmark, everything goes up from that. So if you raise minimum, then everything else goes up, but it's happening around us. And so either retail is so fundamentally broken that you might as well turn out the lights now, or we need creative thinkers in the room who can take a complex challenge like, what if we could pay people $20 an hour and we needed to maintain wage costs at a certain band? What else can we do with our business to make it happen? That's the kind of discourse that'll lead to an answer as opposed to how do we how do we keep everything contained and like it was yesterday? I agree with you, David. You know, I fundamentally I agree with with all of you. But if if a retailer says to me, you know what, we're going to have a, 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 a country meeting or a town hall, town hall meeting with our staff, and we're going to start doing employee engagement, and we're going to start measuring customer employee satisfaction, I'm going to say bullshit. It is not going to solve the problem. The problem is employee engagement works well with administrative stuff, uh, staff. It works, the, the customer satisfaction works great with administrative staff, distribution staff, wholesale staff. But frontline, when you have too much turnover, you have a revolving door. And every time, I mean, I've seen the financials and what it, co- it can cost you for every employee that you bring in to train because they, and, and they leave you within four to six months, they're gone. At 80% turnover, which we I've seen numbers like that, right? They're gone. Well, they're gone within a month. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you're you've got you want to nail this down. You have to ask your, your to your point, David and and Craig. Retail model is broken, but it's it's broken. But it's what it's really telling us is, and you know, Gary alluded to it. What it's telling us: look, convenience and fast service is what the public wants now, and. You know, the retailers tried to respond to that by paying more to, the, to distribution staff and to delivery staff to make that happen. You're allowing your retail to, to erode, as you've been allowing it to erode for some time. It's all self-fulfilling. The only solution is you got to turn it around. You can't choose some short-term stuff, short-term stuff now and some long-term things that you're going to be able, if you're going to stay in the physical world, you got to treat the retail side with more respect than you've been treated in the past. Yeah. So, in order to wrap this up, it was a great, uh, great pitch there, George, uh, Craig, and David. Have you got any final points? These are really good points. I agree that I, I think that you know the physical frontline retail is broken at this point, and and this is you know something I thought about, but I hadn't really thought about it in the way that has been presented here around pay that we're seeing, including pay increases to warehouse workers, which are not frontline. Um, it probably at this stage would make sense for most retailers with physical stores to re-examine what they're doing and look at their pay structure, look at what their employees are going through. Because, you know, I, I do some work on the side where I'm dealing with retail employees. I speak to a lot of retail employees because I go to a lot of stores. Um, as they've opened, you know, as the pandemic has gotten better. 
And um, a lot of retail employees are not happy. They're telling me they're they're looking to move. Uh, some of them will, you know, whisper, I got headhunted by X, Y, Z. You know, this is something that I see any any day that I go out and speak to the retailers. And uh, um, I think that, yes, the model is fundamentally broken. Um, can it be fixed quickly? Maybe. Uh, but I, I think that, I think we're actually in trouble right now. I, I think retail is in trouble. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see where it lands because Gary, you uh, mentioned more of you know long term uh, uh, you know leadership. Where do things go from there? I mean, these are all conversations that we're going to be having here at uh, the business of retail. People can follow us and you know various podcast platforms. Um, we'll uh, be discussing this into 2022 because I think this is a really hot uh, topic. We're still in a pandemic here. Um, we may start seeing another wave. We're not out of this, despite the fact that we've got vaccinations. And uh, I, I think the retail industry, as we head into 2022, could be in trouble, especially the physical stores, given what we're seeing with frontline workers and uh, the challenges that uh, uh, retailers are facing around that. Okay, thanks, Craig. Uh, David? Yeah, I'll give two sort of contextual pieces. One is what we forget is sort of the tragedy of the commons aspect, which is en masse, all the people we're talking about are a big chunk of the consuming population. And, uh, you know, there is an argument to be made industry-wide. It doesn't help one, one firm, but more money in their pocket is not necessarily a bad thing to the consumer society. The other is, here's the good news. If someone can crack this, and edge out ahead of the rest, they could have a real advantage and get some really good talent right now. And I think Costco, I think, has done a great job in the U.S. of that, of course, building from strength. But they've come right out and said they've always paid well, they offer benefits, and they're doing more. Um, but I think if I were offering three ideas, one would be all the learning that we've developed over time about segmenting a consumer market and meeting their needs relentlessly at every point, every touch point. What if we took all that learning and applied it to the labor market and talked about prospective employees and current, treated it the same way, acquisition, retention, value, enhanced value over time, all the metaphors. And so when you talk about Lululemon, it's not just that they get bums and seats in the store and pay them well and treat them well. They actually have their type of person. Not everyone's going to be a fit there, but they, they're very clear on who they want and they make sure they're designing for those people. So I think segmenting the, the labor market and taking those tools could, could be very useful. And in the short run, I think we got to pay. You got to pay whatever you got to do just to keep the door open so you have an opportunity for this down the road. And um, the only other thing I'd say is economically, if we're downsizing stores to save money and if we're implementing technology innovations to reduce labor and we may, we won't say that, but uh, you know, cashierless checkout. Maybe not just put all that to the bottom line. Maybe take some of that saving, and for the people that you have remaining, at least with them, pay them better and go for the best people you can get and engage them. And uh, just to finish that part, part point off that you made about downsizing stores for cost reduction, I think downsizing stores because you're reducing your assortment, but you're raising the profile of that assortment and you're bringing in the band, uh, brand ambassadors who can really convert anybody who coming in to this assortment uh, and maybe taking uh, a view about your large or medium-sized format uh, operations, actually saying, how do we how do we move this forward? Because that model is in a decline. We need to do a, like a mini reinvent and actually move ourselves forward. So we have 
the right stock, right components, right uh, assortment, and we have the right staff at the at that critical point where they, they they touch an interface and engage with the consumer. These are absolutely essential, and we're not going to get there paying a minimum wage. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. It's uh, Gary Newbury uh, joining with uh, George Minakakis, David Ian Gray, and Craig Patterson. Catch you next time. You have been listening to the Business of Retail podcast, an unflinching strategic alternative to the conventional industry discourse. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please go to www.thebusinessofretail.ca.